Dark Days of Dorothy Gale Aftermath For Episodes 23 and 23-2 Chapter 33 of Dark Days of Dorothy Gale The Ever-Changing Land And Chapter 14 of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz The Winged Monkeys Hello and welcome, one and all to perhaps the, well, I don't know if it's the greatest podcast I've ever done, but it's pretty darn special, and pretty darn great if you ask me. If you're curious about my previous ventures, there was once a podcast called Two Guys, a Movie, and a Podcast, and briefly one called Off All Day, both fine shows and equally insightful in regards to who I am, and how I feel about various things. Also, both defunct, but fairly timeless and evergreen. (laughs) Look at me getting off track already. Let's talk Dark Days of Dorothy Gale. This week was Chapter 33, The Ever-Changing Land. The comparisons here are pretty cut and dry. I think this week I'm finally going to be concise and on topic for once. You think? Well, we'll find out soon enough. We find Dorothy and her more traditional band of followers this week traveling through the countryside of Eastern Oz. Remember, Dorothy in the source material is very rarely without the Tin Woodman, Lion, and Scarecrow. This is really the only moment in dark days, though, that we see this traveling party all together. Or at least working together, anyway. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Lost in Oz, it would appear that the land is not quite what it seems. No one acknowledges this phenomenon. They aren't sitting around the campfire discussing the strange way the land is transforming or shifting. They aren't passing the same river over and over again. They aren't finding creepy cottages or strange stick figures hanging from the trees. No one's yelling at Mike for kicking the map into the creek and getting them lost. Have I ever mentioned how much I love the 90s? They all simply accept the fact that they are lost. Or maybe the land is just changing so gradually that none of them really notices something is amiss. Either way, I went with a more congenial and less terrifying approach to this chapter. It's almost pleasant. I imagine bright, colorful fields and small villages, complete with villagers, that might be more friendly if not fearful themselves. I mention that Dorothy is now legend, wait for it, Dairy. She's famous now for her strength and cunning and courage. I've never truly addressed how word spreads throughout the land, It's not something I'm super concerned about in this book. 
I kind of just chalk it up to a combination of word of mouth and maybe some sort of supernatural essence of the world of Oz. Mister says they have been traveling for something like ten days, and that's weird because it only took them something like five days to get to the desert in the first place. Of course, that's including time spent with Reginald. This is nonsense. In the book, the actual physical copy and the ebook sold on Amazon at the time of this recording, anyway. He says. It was only two days, if I'm not mistaken, which I could be. I just wrote the thing. I don't remember every little detail. Anyway, when I wrote it, that short amount of time seemed fine. It seemed fine. As I was preparing to record this episode, that amount of time suddenly seemed really, really short. So I added some days to it. I still think it feels kind of short. They're on foot, and Oz is supposed to be this vast world of wonder and danger. Should be longer, and should probably be missing the little Reginald reference as well. I mean, if you remove the time spent with Reginald, that still means they traveled pretty quickly. Yeah, it took us five days. But really only three, because we hung out with Jack the Ripper for a couple of days. Oh, and we extended our travel time because I stepped over a weird threshold that literally created a new part of Oz. <sighs> Am I making any sense anymore? <sighs> I, honestly, I honestly can't tell, and I apologize. Moving on. The woodman here turns out to be a pretty helpful fella letting Dorothy know the winged monkeys owe her, that they work on a tit-for-tat basis. I say the monkeys are hanging out like a group of teenagers in the parking lot of a small-town laundromat. That strangely specific situation is a pretty direct reference to my own youth. My small hometown had a little laundromat that, on occasion... I would hang out at with my friends as they did their laundry. Because nothing says exciting Saturday night like doing the laundry. Not usually in the parking lot, though. The laundry machines were indoors. We do have roofs here in Nebraska. But we also had a town square. Yes, a literal town square. No public canings or anything, but... It was still a town square. Occasionally, if there wasn't anyone at the laundromat on a Friday or Saturday night, there was usually a group of people hanging out on the square and playing hacky sack or maybe frisbee. I wasn't what you would call an extrovert. I think in reality I only went to the laundromat a few times and the square a few more than that. Most weekends, you'd find me hanging out in a friend's basement playing Silent Hill or something. <laughs> and you thought you could escape the Silent Hill references for a week. <laughs> I showed you. Anyway, that was a long-winded story for one or two sentences of the book. And I realized that. I would apologize, but I feel like you know what to expect when you press play on one of these Aftermath episodes. The woodman points out that the winged monkeys likely left her behind 
in the Grey Desert because she wasn't aware of the rules. Also, they're lazy. In the physical and ebook copy available on Amazon at the time of this recording, the line is Those monkeys are inherently lazy creatures. Someone pointed out to me that that sounds racist. Said it sounded like I was making some sort of bad comment about African Americans and people of color. I never meant it to come off as racist. I certainly don't believe African Americans or people of color, any color, are inherently lazy. And I just want to make that perfectly clear. And even though my friend who pointed it out was saying that more to troll me than anything, I can't hear that line without thinking I'm a bad human being. This weekend I will be updating the text. So, for the podcast, I changed it to something like, If they aren't using energy to cause mischief, they aren't using energy. And this aligns them more with the mischievous monkeys in the bomb version anyway. And so Dorothy approaches them and gets their help. They take off with Mr. and the lion, and they leave the woodman behind. The woodman, who had been trying to make up for his past mistakes. <sighs> oh, how things could have been different if only Dorothy was more forgiving. The story structure of this chapter is also worth noting. It's a little less linear than any that came before it, going from Dorothy interacting with the monkeys to her traveling party, watching her interactions but not really knowing what's happening, and back to Dorothy again. Kind of makes this chapter stick out like a sore thumb, but I like it anyway. In The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, the story is fairly similar. They're lost, though it isn't by any kind of supernatural force messing with them. Instead, it's because the sun is over their heads. Hmm. They call on the field mice with their queen, and Dorothy is informed that they have been going the wrong way. All this time. But never fear, because she, Dorothy, has the ability to command the winged monkeys. Obviously, I couldn't use the queen to get this information across in dark days. You know, because of the lion killing her and all. So that knowledge had to come from the woodman. And of course, my reason for the monkeys having to help is different from the bomb story as well. No magic hat for my Dorothy. And if you look at the hat in the original Denslow artwork, it's not hard to see why I would want to drop it. 1900 style? Just, uh, well, it was something else. Or, at least, just not my jam. The Queen tells Dorothy how to use the hat, or at least where to find the instructions. <laughs> It sure is nice that it comes with instructions. I like to imagine it also coming with a warning stating, Use of this hat is known by the state of California to cause cancer. The queen also tells Dorothy that if they do call the monkeys, the mice will have to make like a tree and get out of there. 
because the monkeys think it is great fun to plague them. <laughs> that is a fun use of words, isn't it? The monkeys in Dark Days are huge. They tower over Dorothy and are pretty menacing figures. The bomb version of the monkeys are a bit more cute and cuddly. At least, according to the aforementioned Denslow artwork. You can find his illustrations easily enough through a simple web search. Or follow me on Twitter, at DarkDorothyG. Or Instagram, at TheOrdinarySun. That's S-U-N. I don't have a Dark Days Instagram. Or at least I don't think I do. I may have had one at one point in time and forgot about it. Either way, I post stuff to my personal Instagram for the book and show on a regular basis. Huh. So where was I? Right. Cute, cuddly monkeys. I picked a deeper voice for the Monkey King. I used a deeper voice when the witch summoned them earlier on because I wanted them to seem more menacing and kind of scary. So I had to stick with that voice even when they were no longer menacing and scary. The voice wasn't a mimic or impression of anyone this time around. In fact, I kind of forgot they came back and told this story later on. This resulted in me having some trouble holding on to the voice for this chapter. Overall, I don't think it was too noticeable. Maybe the voice was a little less deep here and there. But for the most part, I'm pretty happy with the way it turned out. So the monkeys show up and let Dorothy know they're pretty okay with taking her back to Emerald. On their way, the Monkey King tells the story of how they came to be controlled by the cap and its charm. I really enjoy this story. It has little to do with the overall plot of the wonderful Wizard of Oz and is really more of a parable or fable. Say, would you like to know the difference between a parable and a fable? <laughs> of course you wouldn't, but I looked it up anyway, and so I might as well instill this knowledge on you. So you too can impress your friends and family with trivia they probably don't care about. A parable is a short story or prose that uses people to teach a lesson and get a point across. A fable uses animals or plants or some other force of nature or inanimate object to get its point across and teach its lesson. Or at least that's what Wikipedia says anyway. This story of the monkeys is a fun fable. After you get past some weirdness, and we'll get into that in a second. The Monkey King tells Dorothy of Princess Gaelette and his grandfather in a time so long ago that it actually predates the wizard. Princess Gaelette is beautiful. She's wise and she's shallow. Wait, what? That's right. She wants to love. She desperately wants to love. It's just unfortunate that everyone around her is too stupid or too ugly to mate with her. That's 
Bomb's words, not mine, by the way. That is until she meets a boy. Uh, yeah, about that. A boy. His name is Quilala. She's so enamored by this boy that she's all like, Oh yeah, when this boy grows into a man, I'ma definitely slide into his DMs. She takes him home, uses her magic, and grows him into a man. Is that what I'm supposed to get from this? It literally says, and I'm quoting now, At last, however, she found a boy who was handsome and manly, and wise beyond his years. Gaelette made up her mind that when he grew to be a man, she would make him her husband. So, she took him to her ruby palace and used all her magic powers to make him as strong and good and lovely as any woman could wish. Doesn't that sound like she, you know, kidnapped a cute boy and turned him into a man so she could marry him? Also, in my recording of this chapter, I made a mistake. I said, she took to him her ruby palace, instead of, she took him to her ruby palace. I apologize. I didn't notice until it came time to edit, and then I was unable to record a fix for it because I just didn't have the time. But let's not lose sight of how weird this is. If I'm understanding this wrong, or if you're getting something different from the story, please let me know. Again, Dark Dorothy G on Twitter, and Dark Days of Dorothy Gale at Outlook.com. All of this talk of manly beauty is weird and strangely worded and pretty unnecessary. Couldn't Baum just write a story about her finding a man her own age? Whatever. Quilala and Gaelette are to be married. And one day, the Monkey King, remember the current king's grandfather, sees Quilala just walking around in some cool velvet robes and decides it would be a great idea to, I don't know, throw him into the river. Quilala is a pretty cool dude, though. He laughs and swims back to shore and is all like, <laughs> You got me. Gaylette, on the other hand, is all like Vin Diesel and Family is everything. Okay, I'll be honest. I don't know if I used that family meme right or not for that joke. I've never actually seen any of the Fast and Furious movies. Ever. None of them. But anyway... She's not as lovable and kind as Quilala, and wants them all to drown in the river. She wants their wings tied and them thrown in. The Monkey King is all like, Whoa, that's a bit extreme, isn't it? And Quilala's all like, Yeah, maybe let's not commit genocide over some clothes. They're just clothes. So instead, they come to a compromise. No death. Just slavery. I'm sure there's some literary scholar out there that says these monkeys are symbolic of something, or that they have 
uh, a deeper meaning. But I'm just going to go with my usual ideology and say that art is subjective and open to interpretation. And that maybe, sometimes a story is just a story. Or maybe it's not. Who knows? Frank Baum knows. But he's dead. So good luck asking him. Hmm. You know, it might serve me well to look into this. Is there a biography or interview or journal or anything in which he confirms all these studies and analysis? Tell you what, I'll Google it later and maybe get back to you with my findings for next week's aftermath. These monkeys agree to the conditions, and Princess Gaelette has an enchanted hat made. Whoever has the hat gets to lord over the monkeys three times. It's all good for a while. Quilala gets the hat first and is all like, eh, you know, just keep clear of the old ball and chain over there. Orders the monkeys are happy to comply with, because remember, she nearly murdered them all. Baum never explains how the witch came into possession of the hat, though. I feel like there's probably a pretty cool story there, or at least potential for one anyway. But then again, I don't really explain how Krista managed to capture and control her two-winged monkeys either. The king lets Dorothy know that he and his band of winged monkeys were pretty much responsible for the enslavement of the Winkies, and driving the wizard out of the east. Now that I've effectively picked through this fable, I don't think I like it after all. The monkeys are entertaining enough, the story is told in a way that holds my attention, but the weird story of the princess kidnapping a boy and turning him into a man, paired with near genocide and enslavement, is a bit much. It's actually a really depressing story when you get right down to it. Which would normally be my thing as a fan of drama and mystery and suspense. But in the context of a wonder tale that's meant to be less grim, it seems a bit strange. Nevertheless, Dorothy and her friends make it back to the Green City. Huh. What was that about being concise and on point this week? Well, I guess that just means I'll have to try harder next week. Say, speaking of next week, come back for more, because I'll be here with Chapter 34 of Dark Days of Dorothy Gale, The Humbug, and Chapter 15 of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, The Discovery of Oz the Terrible. Of course, there will be the usual straight-and-to-the-point aftermath episode as well. If I missed anything, or failed to address something you think I should have, you can always reach out to me at Twitter, again, DarkDorothyG, or via email, again, DarkDaysOfDorothyGale at Outlook.com. I'm always open to questions and constructive criticism. In the immortal words of Nick Cave, It's nice to be nice. By all means, let me know what you don't like, but no need to be a jerk about it. Thanks for listening. I love you all.